Hey, y'all. Hi, guys. I'm Genevieve, Positive Peach. I'm Alex, Joyful Rare. And this is... And this is Positively, Positively Walking, Walking with, with Mayo. Mayo. So I know within the Mayo community, it is, you know, pretty common to jump through some hoops and to get misdiagnosed. Do you have anything to say about that or any advice for somebody who's been misdiagnosed? So um, once I realized I was misdiagnosed, I got the stereotypical anger at not being diagnosed with the correct disease so that I can get treatment earlier. But the thing is, is once I thought about that, I'm like, so let's say you did get diagnosed earlier. Let's say Mito is more well-known. It really wouldn't have, there, there, there really isn't a treatment for what I'm going through. The only treatment, the only cure is physical therapy. So I guess the only thing that I could gain back is more function because the thing with atrophy in our cases for like mito, once things are atrophied, you really can't get them back. Like to me, like I, I walk just same as I did whenever I was younger whenever I can walk, like, whenever I'm, like, warm and, like, I've been walking for, like, a while, like, a couple of hours, the muscles are used to doing that, so they do it on their own, but when I catch myself in, like, a mirror or, like, the reflection and, like, a door, I'm, like, is that the way I walk? I'm, like, oh, oh that's because of all of the, well, for one, you don't have the muscle strength in like your hips that you probably used to and you probably have lost some over the years because you weren't diagnosed as like at the age of like 10 so for those 15 years anytime that like because I think for me my mito got bad whenever I hit puberty so for those years between the ages of like about 12 and 15, any atrophy that occurred between then, there was really nothing I could have done because I didn't even know what mine was myself. It's not that I could have been like, doctors, this is what is going on. It's not It's not CP, it's Mito. I didn't know what Mito was. So, so how can I advocate for myself if I didn't know what I was advocating for? So at first I was a little bit angry and I'm still kind of, I want people to get diagnosed correctly the first time, but my but misdiagnosis happens, and I'm just lucky in that nothing got damaged in the process. Like I wasn't mistreated. I didn't like not get the correct uh, medication, and it sent me in, in, into like a, a mental rehab. None none of that happened. I just. Once I realized that's what was going on, I'm like, 
I should have been diagnosed correctly the first time. But yet again, if I had, there wouldn't have been anything I could have done. And two, misdiagnosis happens. I mean, I, I'm just lucky that nothing happened and that I wouldn't have a reason to, like, sue a doctor. Like, it's not like I died prematurely because I, because I didn't get cancer treatment. Or, or something of that nature. I'm just lucky nothing, nothing, nothing happened. But doctors aren't like gods. They don't know everything. We have to treat them with like a little bit of like a gender touch sometimes. They're people too. I get so like fed up whenever people are like mad at doctors. I'm like, doctors can only do so much. Now, when doctors knowingly do something wrong, that's a different story. But, um, yeah, I'm for the the misdiagnosis community being as angry as they are because they have the right to be. But I wasn't really in that in that headspace at the time. So, when you get diagnosed with mino, what is kind of the general? You have mino. Here's what to expect. You know, that's the tricky part for me. So I have a fairly rare case of Mito. I don't have one of the more popular kinds like Milos or Lee's. They don't even even have a great acronym for what I have. I have mitochondrial neuropathy, ATP deletion. And that's kind of the the only really and happy um that only really covers a part of what I deal with but I think that with me they try to put so many things into a box but there are still so many variables of things that could go wrong now um this is something I didn't explain in the first part but but like this is like a big um factor of what could happen with my mito and what I can expect. For some mito patients who have centralized in certain areas, they have they'll have sixty percent mito, so they will have all of their um cells in their heart. Sixty percent of, of the cells in their heart are damaged, but only those sixty. It can't get more. Can't get less. It's so they have a 60% chance of having a heart attack or heart failure. So they have to regularly see the cardiologist. For me, I have mitochondrial disease 100% in every cell of my entire body. So anything could happen. It's why all the muscles in my body are affected. All the nerves are, are affected. And currently, my bladder... In my in my eyes are affected, but at any point I could go into like cardiac arrest. I could go into kidney failure. So we're always kind of like on alert, but not because for me, if I lived every single day like on alert, I wouldn't leave the house. I wouldn't get up. I would just be like this big ball of like anxiety but like what's the point of that so I really can't 
um, gauge what to expect because everything could go wrong. Um, so that's where like, in the, and, then, and then it's kind of similar to the boat that you're at. Like you could be breaking down muscle at any point in time, but you kind of know what to expect. Yeah, and I understand like my heart could stop at any point, right? You know, the my cells are affected in a multi-system, multi-organ way. And it's where there's that, when I was diagnosed and from other FAOD patients, there's the within the box known things, the um, limit your fasting times, eat a low fat diet. Here's some things you can do up your sugar, up your protein, things like that. And go to the hospital and get this treatment whenever you're in crisis. And then there's what I call like a puzzle without a box. And so you're trying to put all these pieces together, but you don't have a picture of what you're trying to assemble, you know? And and it's those things that are, okay, well, well, I'm gonna go to the cardiologist once a year, you know, more frequently than that sometimes because we're we're checking for things. We're on a on alerts, but in a low key level, you know, and it's like this, we're gonna check in. We're gonna do our due diligence. We're gonna do what we can because I could have heart failure. I could have cardiomyopathy. You know, it's like these different things that could go wrong with these different organs. But it's like if I lived in fear that my heart was gonna stop, nobody's promised tomorrow, you know? And, it, and so I'm gonna do my due diligence and, and do my health responsibilities, do what I need to do, eat the way I need to. But I still wanna live my life, live, live life to the fullest as best as possible while also being medically responsible. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Oh, it definitely does. Finding the balance is like a big thing with um Mito. And I think some because I see it's like a tear to a tear totter. There are there are some people who 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 live in the panic mode a little bit, so their balance is like way off. I, I like myself to be sitting in like the position whenever there's something going on. I have a right to kind of veer up to this side a little bit, but I try to remain in the middle as much as possible. But like, I've learned to kind of use the balance to my to my advantage. Whenever I am having trouble walking, I'm like, okay, don't freak out. It's okay. Try to get to point B from point A, sit, and then don't freak out about it. Wait until you get home tonight at eight and then go bananas whenever it comes to working out. Do 160 seconds of like a plank. Go absolutely bananas because your body is telling you that it is weak and it is like wasting of muscle. So um, don't show to anyone or give 
um, a sign that you're panicking because they don't need to know that you need to do X, Y, and Z. Just keep in like your mind of like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm just having a little bit of trouble. It's, it's nothing. It's normal for me. And then whenever it's time, whenever you've had dinner, you, you your body is full of the, of the nutrients it needs, use that nutrients to kick it in the butt. So maybe not eight o'clock, maybe at 730 and work out for like an hour and eight and a half. And whenever your body is like, okay, I'm done. I'm like tired as crap. Then, then go to bed, sleep for like eight hours and see how, how you feel the next day. And if you are still having trouble, do some things that might be a little bit pushing the envelope, but like use that panic to you to your betterment instead of just going uh Mido's bad again today oh well I'm gonna go back to bed I mean for some pe- pe- people they should they they can I just know that for me going back to bed and taking a nap is wasting more muscle so I need to like find the balance between panicking and using that panic fuel energy into uh, doing it constructively. I understand that (laughs) so much. Whenever people say find the balance, it's like a real, it's not just like self-care or like whatever. Like it's a big deal. Find your balance and then major in that balance like make it your life's goal to be in that balance because the balance is going to allow you to do other things but if you're constantly in this state of like i have a disease that is going to kill me like what do i do like i can't do anything you're never going to do anything that's going to make you want to live life you're you're always going to want to panic like if i work out for 14 hours a day that's not constructive to anything because then the next day I can't move. I'll be so, my muscles will be so fatigued. Though, like, you did a number on us yesterday, and now you're going to pay for it. Yeah. And I, I definitely think, like, when you're, you have that panic a little bit where something happens, something doesn't feel right, feeling more weak or something. Um, and I'm like, okay need to reevaluate, you know, maybe the next day for me ends up being a rest day because ultimately if I try and work out when I'm weak, that will end up in the hospital, you know? And, and so that's something where I have to be like, okay, tomorrow's a rest day and hydration day or something. And, but there's still those times where it's like, okay, I know I'm going to the hospital and I will end up in the hospital tonight, but I'm going to go to prom on the way to the ER, you know, and, and it's, you know, I maybe don't recommend that. Um, but it's part of just how I try and continue to live life a little bit, but you know, at, at the random holiday that, recent holiday I was feeling very unsafe walking and very weak and 
I became very quiet at the holiday. And my mom <laughs> was getting suspicious. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my allergies over here. Oh, anyways. Because I was quiet, my mom was getting suspicious. And I eventually had to tell her, like, I I don't feel very safe right now walking, you know, but it's it's not to panic. Let's reevaluate. And that night I used my wheelchair in my house, which is not common at all. And we're like, okay, we're going to assess in the morning and call the doctor. We will end up in the hospital. Well, let's not go tonight for everyone's well-being. You know, it was not an emergent situation, so we could do that. But I definitely relate to with this. Um, don't panic. It's going to be okay. We just got to take take our diseases, what it throws at us, and take what we can get. And with the cards we're dealt, use them, you know, use them accordingly and, and manage them for sure. <laughs> I don't a jumble of words, but I was trying to kind of... That definitely makes sense because whenever you don't feel 100%, your your natural first instinct is to go to the hospital but also i'm like they aren't gonna be able to do anything there at least for me i mean in your case they can give you dextrous but if they would just be show, um like putting a perfectly healthy body with more sugar like that wouldn't really really help it's just that my muscles that day i just can't feel them and usually, um, this is going back to like stuff that we have said before, but like laying out in the in the sun helps my muscles. Sometimes I'm like a little plant. I'm like, I just need need a little bit of sun. <laughs> um, or and sometimes it's just using them. Like sometimes, like it's like walking and beating the crap out of my muscles helps, but then like the next day because I have I have four four comforters on my bed so having like the heat of like all the all of the stuff on my bed helps and then I don't want to go and get out of bed in the morning because I'm like it's so warm yay <laughs> so I definitely get what you're saying like let's let's get like hospital is like the last thing we want to be doing right now let's Let's weigh our our options and then use it as like the last resort. Yes, yes. Hopefully, you know, there's home recovery. I unfortunately don't do the best at getting El Chad to get it together at home. Uh, but that's out of my control sometimes. So since you've kind of always been sick, did that like like so were you happy being sick in like high school and stuff were you okay with that or or, or did it make it really really hard yeah so when i was younger when i was younger you would not know that i was sick chronically ill whatever you want to call it and 
the only time that people would really notice is when I was in the hospital for something really minor and we'd be like, oh yeah, it's fine. We just got to get in, get in the hospital, fix Alex and she'll be running and off she goes, you know, and this very energetic child and you never knew that I was dealing with fatigue and energy loss and not able to create energy in my body. And when I hit adolescence for perspective for both our journeys, adolescence requires a lot of energy. And so when you have an issue in the part of the cell that creates your energy, it is a big problem in adolescence for sure. And it's more emphasized. And through that, I was just kind of having a, a decline through middle school and early high school where my invisible illness became physical. I started walking differently. Um, that really separated me from my peers. We can go more into like social stuff in another episode, but that's kind of where I got more of my awareness of how my chronic illness affects people around me and how they interact with me and just kind of how my perspective changed throughout adolescence in terms of what I'm really leaning on and you know that is my faith and the unknown of not sure what ability will be lost tomorrow was kind of the reality that I was starting to live in and it was something I was feeling a lot of deep feelings that a lot of my peers didn't quite understand. I started living in chronic pain, things like that, that I really had to come to grasp with. And as I got into high school, my, at the end of my freshman, first, at the end of my first semester of freshman year in high school, I was sent on a make-a-wish trip. And that, while I was continuing to live my life and continue to do physical therapy, physical therapy really wasn't fixing anything. And the decline just kind of continued. It got scarier and scarier because there's only so many things you can lose before it alters your entire lifestyle. And the little foot drop to the bigger gross motor skills becoming weak and things like that. It just wasn't a very good place for, well, it wasn't, adolescence just was very harsh on my body and my body wasn't able to keep up with that energy demand. So that really affected those middle school, high school years. And being put on a make-a-wish trip, we took it in stride. We were very much, like, excited to go as a family. I did very well um, health-wise while we were there, thankfully. And it was really right after that that my decline became much more rapid. And the days became a little bit scarier and scarier. And that is kind of where in high school it really define some things for me because as people were getting their license 
and permits and stuff. My independence was being taken away. My, I, you know, needed my mom for 24 seven care by that summer. And my entire sophomore year of high school, I did school from home because I was doing three therapies a week and I was stuck in a wheelchair every day, all day. And so it was something that that really defined some of my high school experience for sure. Um, I think I built back a lot and the goal was college, but through my upperclassmen years, I was able to do the things I really love to do, like marching band and things like that in an adaptive way. But I was able to, to do those things through strengthening and everything. But yeah, adolescence was just not the most friendly to Alex's body, but it's okay. <laughs> we we've we've moved through that and we've got through it. And that's what matters. And I hope that answers your question. It definitely does. I definitely can relate to um the driving thing. Like I remember vividly sit, um, sitting in my in my history class before class started, like just like hearing the, the chair chatter behind me uh, because I sat closest to the door. So that meant that the, 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 the class was like behind me. Um, and I remember um, one of the girls talking about how she was going to use her car to go to a party over the weekend. This was like, Thursday I'm like and I had just been diagnosed I think a year ago so a year prior to so I was still kind of grappling with the things that were being taken away from me I mean like I like taken away is kind of like a weird thing to say because I'd always had mito in my genetics mm -hmm. I just realized that I had the disease so I, so it kind of was like a tally mark of like, oh, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do this. Like driving is one of the things I can't do because of my delayed reaction time. It would be very, very dangerous. So, so theoretically I can sit in the chair, I can put my hand on the wheels and I can put my feet on the brakes. But when it came to stopping, which is a big part of driving, by the time that I realized the light was red. My brain recognized this and told my feet to, to um, press on the brake. Also, the foot drop being like a big ordeal. I would already be crashing into the car on the other side of the, of the intersection. So it's just not safe. So I just don't do it. Um, but I can definitely relate to like oh, that's just nothing that I can't do and it's never going to come back for me it's not the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is self-driving cars so right and that, I think you know for the limitations that we do have whether it's you know for safety or you know whatever reason we can't do something right now I learned in those high school years that I really fought for the little things that I could still hold on to and really wanted to still keep and do <laughs> and sometimes it was fighting to a fault in terms of you know 
people told me I could my life could be so much easier if I didn't try and fight for those higher level coursework or things like that or you know band is very active and it takes a lot of effort but I was like but I love it you know and and so I really learned how to advocate and fight for those little things in in that time and coming to an understanding that I can't do everything I'm gonna have limitations for whatever reason but I can still find within those limitations how to find my best quality of life absolutely because mm-hmm. I can only imagine like being entirely wheelchair bound because I hate the wheelchair because I because whenever like if you have to sit in a wheelchair people kind of forget about you because you're here and everyone's way up here and, and they kind of forget to like lean down and ask what your what your what your opinion is they kind of carry on as if you're not there so so and and if you're wheelchair bound and you can't get up or you have to like so like, so like hitting people in the chest to be like i'm still here like ask my opinion but then you don't want to be needy or be like hey i'm still here and be like a little like pest at least that's how i felt i don't know how you felt about it so i couldn't imagine being 100 percent wheelchair bound all the time it's why i really resist the wheelchair i have a lot to say about it which we can save for another episode but for for now i'm no longer wheelchair bound i'm living independently at college while navigating with certain accessibility equipment including a wheelchair a walker and a scooter um but i can relate on um depending on what equipment i am using um it does affect social interactions and the environment that i'm in uh whether i'm in my wheelchair i'm much lower than where the conversation is happening or i'm on my scooter which is much higher and and i'm i level with people it's it's definitely a different experience for sure um i love making all of them fun colors and yellow and pink and fuchsia whatever it needs to be to make it fun and express my personality um but yeah we could definitely talk about navigating with equipment for sure <laughs> thanks for listening you can check us out on all social media platforms and we hope you continue walking with us Thank you.